Well, this morning we're going to pick up again in our series on the miracles of Elisha. And last time we were discussing him, we saw him pick up the mantle of his master. And he took that mantle and he smote the Jordan River and it divided and he walked in on dry land. And then we also looked at him healing the waters of Jericho, how it speaks of setting people free, setting us free from bitter experiences, giving us victory over that. And then we looked at the judgment that came upon those children. Right? They were mocking the prophet of the Lord. Um, and it really speaks of, of the outcome of those who despise the kingdom of God um, and take his word lightly. And that, that really causes us to walk in the fear of the Lord. But I want to look now at, at another of his miracles. And this is the miracle of the deliverance of the three kings in the desert. Um, and how this, it's the story of King Jehoram. And he was the son of Ahab, right? We know Ahab was that wicked king um, of Israel. And... Ahab, yet he, he was a pretty powerful king, and, and he had some sway over the nations, and they would pay him tribute. And there was one nation called Moab, and they would pay him tribute, and it was a pretty good one. It was 200,000 sheep every year. Well, when Ahab died and Jehoram, his son, took over, the Moabites said, well, hey, let's try not paying the tribute and see what happens. And so they did that, uh, and of course, Jehoram, Jehoram said, well, you're going to still pay tribute, and so we're going to have to make you pay. And so he invited uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of, of Judah, to come with him. Now, unfortunately, Jehoshaphat said yes. That's kind of a separate sermon right? about not, not going along with the, with the wicked and being careful of who we walk with and so forth. But we won't touch on that in this, this sermon. But uh, it's hard to understand why he would do that, but that's okay. And so they joined together, they took a mighty army, and they traveled seven days into the desert to come to Moab, um, and it's very dry, and they couldn't find enough water for their people or for their sheep. And so now you have kind of a major disaster on your hands because you have the army and everyone with them and all the animals and everything like that. And he's about to lose his whole army if he can't find water. And so Jehoram despairs. He said, oh, no, we're finished. It's over. But Jehoshaphat, which has a, he has a, a level of relationship with the Lord. He's godly king, maybe not as discerning, but he's still godly and seeks God. And, and so Jehoram despairs, but Jehoshaphat inquires. He seeks God. And we can see this in 2 Kings 3, verse 11. Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of the Lord by him? And so one of the, the king of Israel's servants said, Well, here's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And so, you know, I actually should have included that because that was kind of interesting. The, the last ver verse before is, is that Jehoram just despaired. He wanted to give up. He's like, well, I guess we're, we're done. We're finished. My army's going to die in the desert and I better take what's left of the water and get out of here. But the man of God said, well, let's seek the Lord. What, 
because the word of God can change things in an instant. But, you know, that's kind of a message to us is when we are walking in our own strength and in our own wisdom, our own ways and abilities, despair can creep in very easily. Discern or, uh, you know, doubt, depression, those kind of things can creep in when we're on our own, when we're doing things on our own. But even though Jehoshaphat, even though he wasn't fully discerning and wasn't doing the best thing, he still loved the Lord and he sought God and he cried out to God and God met with him and had mercy upon him, we could say. And so that should be kind of a, both an encouragement and a warning to us, All right? Jehoshaphat got himself into a mess and he had to cry out to the Lord. He shouldn't have been been in there in the first place, but how many of us have gotten ourselves into messes at times, one time or another in our lives? Yet, if we will set our heart after God and cry out to him, and sometimes that we got to humble ourselves, really humble ourselves to seek his face. But God says he'll hear from heaven and he'll meet with us. You know what kind of is really interesting when you think about how Elisha was there? I mean, this wasn't just a little camping trip. This was an expedition to another nation going through the desert. And so Elisha went with them. Now, I don't know if the prophets of the Lord always went with them on the campaigns or not. I mean, it, I don't think Elisha had a close relationship with uh, the son of Ahab. I mean, he was in, called the enemy of Ahab called his master, his enemy. And so I don't know if there was a better relationship, but yet here he was with them. But I think that we can see, we're going to see that he wasn't there, um, you know, because he enjoyed being with the king of Israel. In fact, he, he didn't care about the king of Israel. And I think God caused him to come just for the king of Judah because he knew the king of Judah would cry out to the Lord. And so, you know, in a sense, if we would have a heart that would just cry out to God and throw ourselves upon his mercy, that's the kind of heart he anticipates to meet. He'll even prepare it beforehand and we don't even know it because he sees our heart. And so we see kind of this picture of, well, actually, we see another picture of someone who cries out to God and and loves being in the presence of God, right? Because we we hear about Elisha in 2 Kings 3.14, and we've touched on this before several times in our series. 2 Kings 3.14 says, Elisha said, as the Lord God of, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. I don't, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, speaking of Jehoram, the king of Israel. I mean, he couldn't care, you know, two, two pennies, two, two whatevers for the king of Israel because he was just like his father, an ungodly man. But he was there because of the king of Judah. But yet it says the Lord God before whom I stand. And so as we've previously mentioned that he was a man who constantly lived in the presence of God. And that's really the characteristic 
for one who was preserved and protected. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 2. You know, and I, I love this psalm. You could probably instantly quote it, the, at least the beginning of it, with this thought of being preserved and protected. Psalm 91, verse 1 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. The psalm goes on to talk about you know, experiencing the preservation of the, of the Lord, being protected in His presence, not being afraid of the terror by night, the arrow that flies by day, but under His wings will trust. And it's that thought of making the presence of God our abiding place, our dwelling place. Now, that's a nice thought. But, you know, there's some practical aspects to that, aren't there? Because we can cry out to the Lord occasionally, but, you know, that sometimes that there can be a, something lacking in that. Right? That we don't have that closeness to God that we desire. Really, what this talks about, you know, making his presence our secret place, our dwelling place, it's something we come to often. It's something we resort to. It involves spending time with him in his word, in his in prayer, in seeking him. It actually takes a lot of hard choices, right? Making his presence our dwelling place making it our secret place, right? Because the whole intent of this world and the kingdom of this world is to get us not to make God our secret place, our abiding, our refuge. The whole purpose of this world is to try and get us our eyes off of God and onto something else. And so, you know, to get us focused on the here and now, the day-to-day lives, the struggles, the pleasures, whatever will get us our eyes off God, will get us off track. There's, you know, the enemy is ready and waiting to present that to us. Whether it's good or bad, he doesn't care. He, he's fine giving us pleasures or giving us pain or giving us hardship if that'll get our eyes off of the Lord. The problem is, is that when our eyes are there, it puts us into that position of the king of Israel. He despaired. You know, when our eyes are off of God, our first thing, our first reaction is going to be despair. Because all of a sudden, we're going to come to this realization, whoa, here's this big problem. And then we look at ourselves, who we've been relying on, and we I can't do anything about that. Despair. But you know, when, when the opposite is true, and... All along, we've been keeping our eyes upon God. And then we're, we see God, and then we look to this, even if it's a giant or a mountain, we say, well, I've been looking to the one who's bigger than this. And so I'm just going to say, Lord, what do you think about this? And we rejoice. And we have confidence. We have hope. Even if we're in the desert and there's no water. But when we learn to abide in Christ... We spend an abundance of time in the secret place. We're establishing that relationship of trust, of reliance. It has a profound effect in our lives. And we can see this in the story as we continue in it, is that Elisha, 
he comes and he agrees to seek the Lord and and to turn the the well this whole group this army their eyes to the Lord because now they're in a very difficult spot. And so he calls for a minstrel to play, and you know of course we we know that the that it's anointing anointed music and worship that opens the way to the presence of God. We talked about a little bit about that last time was last Sunday or one of the Sundays about the importance of worship, you know, because it opens the way and we want to be worshipers, right? Not just on Sunday, but, you know, in whatever form, whether it's praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, worshiping in the spirit or singing church songs as we're driving down the road, we want to spend time opening up the way, making that highway, making it smooth and plain, because the more often we're there, the more we're making that an accustomed way that we go. And Elisha was accustomed to finding the presence of God. He knew just what it would take. And so there, an anointed minstrel came and worshiped the Lord, and the presence of God came, and the Lord spoke. In 2 Kings 3.16, And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make the valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, you won't see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water that you will drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. So the Lord told them to dig some ditches uh, to contain water, but they wouldn't see it. That's kind of what's the interesting thing. They weren't going to see the miracle take place. They were just going to experience it. They wouldn't see the evidence. It would just appear. There's another verse we can relate to this. Psalm 126, verse 3. It says, The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again in our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Turn our captivity as the streams in the south. Now this has some geolog- geologic, yeah, geologic significance in the sense that in the south of Judah, it was desert. And in the desert, they would have riverbeds, but they were pretty much dry, except during the rainy season. But they wouldn't get, it's not that they would get an abundance of rain in the desert, but they would get it in the north. And what would happen is, is they would have a rainstorm in the north, and, and you're in the desert, and you don't even see anything. It's just blue sky and, you know, nice weather. And then you start to hear something. You hear a rumble. And when they... Hear that. Actually, when it's in that season, you don't even go near the, the dry riverbeds because it can happen in an instant that the water flows from the north and the south and those streams fill up. And so when the psalmist is saying, Lord, turn our captivity as the streams in the south, he's saying, Lord, it's a dry riverbed, but in an instant, it can be a raging torrent. Lord, turn our captivity. And so that was a similar situation. Israel was in a valley. The Lord said, dig ditches. And overnight, those ditches filled with water. They didn't see the source, but they saw the miracle. And that's how God often works. Sometimes we want to see, Lord, I want to see something, a miracle. You know, if we're holding out for that, might have to hold out for a while unless God wants to do it. But if we'll keep our eyes on him and trust in him, Lord, I have a need. Would you meet this need? Well, it opens the door for God to do anything he wants to do in our lives. We have to trust in him for it. Cry out to him. Wait upon him for that. God can cause those dry streams 
to be filled with, to overflowing. And, you know, we think about the effects, not just on Israel, but upon the enemy, right? Israel was in the desert and it not only helped them, but it caused their enemy to be overthrown because they came up in the morning. They, they saw the ditches and they saw, you know, we think the sun reflecting off that. And they thought the ditches were full of water that was red with the blood of, of the Israelites. They must've gotten in a battle and fought with each other and they're all dead and we're just going to go get the spoil. And so they just rushed, you know, greedily to go grab the spoil and, at the last moment they saw, oh, Israel is still there. And they, they're assembled and they're gathered and they're ready to fight. And we're here we are just rushing to get the spoil. And it turned into a slaughter, into a rout. Israel surprised them and Moab was defeated. In a moment, God turned it. You know, he turned it in a moment. And, and so it's one of the mighty lessons for us especially relating to the last days, right? Because we're going to come into times where we can easily become dismayed at what we see. If our eyes are only on those things, only on the natural, only on the situations that we can see with our eyes, especially when we see it just getting darker and the wicked rising up and, you know, trouble and, and so forth. But when our eyes are upon the Lord and we're spending time in the secret place, God can turn it in a moment because our eyes are upon him. And, and when our, it's, it's as if when our eyes are upon him, our hearts are upon him and he can work. I spent a little more time on that one than I thought, but I'm going to do one more. We're gonna, I'll go through this one quick. It's the miracle of the widow's oil. And in this story, it's another miracle of Elisha where uh, we're introduced to a widow. She'd married one of the prophets and that prophet had died. And so now she and her two sons are destitute. I mean, they, they don't have any form of, of, of financial support and all they have left is a bottle of oil and that's it. And of course there's a debt too, which makes it even worse. And, and in order to pay off the debt, the creditors are going to take the two sons and make them work it off, which is basically, you know, slavery in those days. And, you know, this can speak to us at times, you know, we can have our struggles and sometimes they can be like a terrible debt of sin that we're trying to pay off. Right. I mean, you've probably known people who get into debt and, and it's as if, all they're trying to do is pay that interest off, right? Keep the interest from overwhelming them and they can never really pay off the principal. But, you know, that's kind of like people who are have a, experiencing the bondage of sin or, you know, the, the struggle in their lives. When we try and do it on our own, we just, we can never touch it. We can only deal with the, the symptoms. We can never get to the root cause. But the good news is that Jesus already paid our debt. He's done the work. And, you know, he's, of course, he can cover our sins with his blood and wash them. But the wonderful thing is he can also remove it from our nature. He can take it out of our hearts so that we no longer even desire that way. And how does he do that? Through his oil, through his, the anointing of his spirit, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And 
So the word of the Lord to that widow was, take the vessel of oil and God is going to multiply it. Then you're going to sell that off and it will pay your debt. And one thing I was kind of struck with in this story is that it was the oil that had the value. The oil would pay the debt, all of her debt. God, and you know, God desires to anoint us. He wants to fill us with his oil. He wants to anoint us with the, the good things of his, of his kingdom and increase his kingdom in our lives because they are of great value. Proverbs 8 talks about the good things we can obtain from God and we can obtain wisdom and understanding and knowledge and, and all those things that come from the anointing of his spirit upon us. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love me. Those that seek me early shall find me. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. And when we're spending time seeking God, even seeking him early, we're obtaining good things. I love what it says, durable riches. Riches that will last. You know, back in the day, a rich Israelite would have clothing, and that was a lot of time. That was their what was valuable to them. You know, a change of clothing. I guess they'd put a lot of you know it was valuable, you could say, and but it was also not very durable. They could put it in a chest and come back later, and moths had eaten it up, or you never know. And there it goes. There's your riches vanished away. But God wants to give us durable riches. A wealth that help, and it's not only get just something we can look forward to in heaven, but something that will be with us on earth, that will help us on earth, helps us in this life because his truth sets us free and it causes the burdens to fall off of us, causes us to walk on a safe pathway. So Elisha tells the widow in Second Kings 4 and verse 3, he says, go and borrow vessels of your neighbor's even empty vessels, borrow not a few. Borrow not a few. I want us to notice something about this. The, it, the widow could not multiply the oil. That was something only God can do. But she did have a vital part, right? It was borrowing the vessels. She could, you know, she could get as much oil as she want as long as she could get as many vessels as she wanted. As you know, we can't multiply the oil. We can't produce the anointing. Sometimes we'd like to. We're like, man, I'm, if I spend an extra hour in prayer, God's going to anoint me. God, you know, I'm, something's going to happen. Or, or I'm going to fast, or I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, I need some anointing. I'm going to make something happen. And how many of us have tried to do that? Like, ah, I'm just, Lord, I'm going to bring that anointing by something I do. And, uh, of course, it's not always effective. Of course, you know, it's some, we want to spend time, but yet we can't produce it on our own. Really, all we can do is enlarge our vessel. All we can do is give opportunity and enlarge our vessel so that we can receive from him by giving God more opportunities, giving him time, giving him our effort and so forth. Then God blesses and multiplies the little that we have, and he increases it. You know, God wants to multiply 
what we have. You know, if we give him our capacity, he can increase. You know, some people might say, if only this would take place in my life, then I could change. Or, you know, if I could meet with God in this area, then things would be different. And sometimes they can wait a very long time, waiting for, oh, if only that would take place. But God wants to meet with us now. If we will give him more capacity, if we will give him more of ourselves, our time, our opportunity, our action. You know, I think about Jesus. He was the one who was anointed without measure because he gave himself fully to his heavenly father. He was a limitless vessel for his father to pour into. And what's the limiting factor for us? It's how many vessels we borrow. Borrow not a few. Don't limit what we can do for God or what God desires to do. And so, how much of ourselves are we willing to give to the Lord? He will give back to us. And so our prayer can be, Lord, help me to enlarge my capacity for you. Lord, give me a new heart to seek your ways, to love your ways, to love seeking you. I want to borrow more vessels, not a few, so that he can increase his anointing, his oil, and his oil will set us free from the things that we're struggling with, that we're dealing with, that we've been trying to deal with, and we've only been paying off the interest. God wants to set us free so that we can follow him. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we're so grateful that you have paid the price for us. Lord, that you have set us free. Lord, we just want to give our hearts to you, Lord. Thank you for how where we can see you speaking to us through, Lord, these miracles that Elisha performed. Lord, we just pray that you would come afresh into us, O God. Lord, that you would Lord, even establish that, help us to establish that secret place with you, that our eyes would be upon you. Lord, that we wouldn't despair at the things we see in this this world and in our situations, but Lord, help us to set our eyes upon you. And Lord, to, to spend time in the secret place. Lord, and to establish that, that time that we would enlarge our vessel. Lord, that we could receive more of you. Lord, give us that, that desire and that ability to spend time in your word, to spend time in prayer. Lord, to heed the call of the Spirit as you're calling us, Lord, to, to come away with you. Lord, would you, Lord, enable us to do that. Give us even a fresh and a new heart to do that. Lord, even if, as it's a new year, we ask that you would get, increase our capacity for you, O oh God, to seek you and to follow you. Oh, would you do this work within us, we ask. And we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.